0: Well, Austin, it's, it's a real joy to talk to you about this subject and the uh, subject that you and I have been um, talking about over the, I think maybe two or three times, but informally many times in our personal conversations is the subject of uh, UFOs, um, but they tend, our, our particular way to try to understand the phenomena of UFOs and also disclosure is is uh, i'm gonna say nuanced maybe by what you and i also read or listen to from others from many others um not all but many others who are just wanting to discuss this this topic and i think that that is one reason why you and i um well I, i will say i am inspired by your particular um, seeking in this area, because it matches my own seeking. But also, you you possess, um, I hope, like me, or I hope that I possess, like you, a desire to view the phenomena from the perspective of um, love and wisdom, this balance. And so I hope that this conversation moves in that direction would you do you have a particular kind of uh title you were thinking maybe of this <laughs> um
1: well, first uh, thanks so much. very, very happy to be talking to you as well in terms of a title um maybe a holistic approach to disclosure, something like that I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you use the term holistic uh, a lot, and also um, I think integral is a good word for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, holistic, integral approach to disclosure and UFOs.
0: Oh, man, that's great. <laughs> AKA WTF yeah
1: exactly (laughs) and i just wanted to reflect that um, this topic is uh you know there's so many angles to approach it from and so much so such a variety of interest from different people and how people look at it from different sorts of angles and you know there's been recent developments in the disclosure world in terms of sort of the what i would say nuts and bolts government institutional kind of disclosure and that's really been exciting for me to keep track of that but like you're saying there's always this other perspective that you know all of this is unfolding within a lot of aspects of our collective consciousness and uh, zeroing in on just the nuts and bolts or just one particular angle in general uh, typically you lose a lot of what might be you know useful for us in a scenario like this
0: yeah that's brilliant i think that's true um I think it would be helpful if we do discuss maybe different angles that we, you and I have come across um, as a way to define what, what we are reading and other people, but also to differentiate uh, this particular talk. But before we get there, because I think that's important that we talk about it, I, I want to know if I could uh, share just a brief. Comment or two about um, this holistic viewpoint and ground it in some kind of metaphysics. Do you think that would be okay if we if we went there and then maybe we can discuss that and then move into uh, what we're reading?
1: Yeah, please do. I uh, build the foundation.
0: Okay. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> what I I'm understanding and how I understand the metaphysics here, and I'm I'm really drawing a lot from a panoply. Of sources that I t- uh, respect and trust, these include uh, my own background, which is mystical Christianity, um, especially Franciscanism, if people might be interested or understanding the kind of the no- the the way to understand uh, Christianity from a Franciscan perspective i 'm also drawing from the law of one material, which is a channeled material uh, where, at least from my perspective, and I think other people might share something like this, that, that material provides an incredibly comprehensive net that can draw together lots of different points that are discussed within a perennial philosophy or a perennial tradition but it not only includes the exoteric, so things that are more conventional in nature, but it includes the esoteric. And the law of one is as deep as it is wide in its net casting. And so because of those reasons, I I really give it a lot of credence. Um, I, I don't think it's, I, I think that it is useful insofar as it helps me to learn how to live a, uh, A life of service, serving other people in the midst, in the immediacy of my lived reality right here and now. It's very helpful in that way. Um, But it's not a perfect um, exploration of the perennial philosophy because nothing is. Did you want to put anything there too as what are some of the things that have inspired you or to understand this notion of non-duality. I know the law of one is big for you. Are there other ones too? Yeah, absolutely. The law of one, just,
1: you know, a quick comment about the relevance of the law of one and those terms. It is, you know, it has a direct relationship to the UFO phenomenon. And UFOs are how I personally discovered the law of one and ever since that point it became the backbone of my own spiritual seeking so in terms of a personal metaphysics that i hold the love one is sort of the most coherent language and the most coherent viewpoint of that non-dual perennial philosophy that i have come across that resonates with how i can approach it so it is the primary lens that i have in those terms but i have lots of other influences in minor ways i'm really inspired by the work of uh, carl jung and particularly his explorations of how the conscious and the unconscious mind interact and how they influence the way we view the world and uh, stuff like that um and just general spiritual influence as well like i've dabbled in uh, buddhism and have a long-standing meditation practice and I uh, just have uh, absorbed a lot through my spiritual seeking, but the Law of One, in terms of the language that I'm able to approach most of these things from, is kind of the backbone of it all.
0: Yeah, and you, all, you and I also share an interest in uh, maps of consciousness, such as uh, Ken Wilbur's work, um, also yes. uh, Spiral Dynamics, and these kinds of things, too.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Ken Wilber's work particularly definitely want to mention him as a big influence and his integral theory uh, and the various aspects of the integral theory. It's a very comprehensive system, so it's a lot to uh, sort of unpack just talking about it, but it's very influential in the way that I approach things as well.
0: Hmm. Okay. And the other thing that I, I guess would be helpful for people to hear because I think it's true is that w- whatever we say today is our own position as of October 5th to you know,
1: 2023. Um, and it's 11.55 AM Eastern
0: time. That's right. And it's packed with um, distortion. You know, it's like, it's like the grunge guitars of the 90s. It's really distorted. It's, <laughs> it might be good. It might be really cool when we dance. But you know, there's some distortion there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever we're doing, we're offering a report from
1: our point on the journey, of whatever journey we're on, and that's all it is. It's just we're saying what we see.
0: Yes, yeah. One of the ways that I'm understanding the whole topic, but I think the topic of uh, trying to figure out the perennial philosophy itself, is looking at UFOs, disclosure, and the perennial philosophy from... Um, what I'm calling the narrative of becoming, the narrative of becoming. And this is juxtaposed. This is uh, maybe in in intention with what is often, seems to me, the case where people are talking about UFOs and even the perennial philosophy, and they're doing it maybe unconsciously, and that is the narrative of decline. Um, so I'll just I'll just discuss really briefly how I understand the narrative of decline. It's a worldview um, that operates and says there was a glorious past. Um, it's kind of the narrative of the fall that there was an Edenic um, existence, some kind of golden age or or um, er religion, you know, the original religion, some kind of purity that was given or handed on and then over time there was a slow uh, perversion of that a distortion to the point where some kind of stuckness has occurred uh, because of its its current perversion and that what needs to happen is um, some way to break through the, the, the quagmire that we're in by returning back to this original thing. So, so it's, it's a rediscovery of the original purity. And that, that frames the narrative of decline. Um, the way I'm understanding this, though, is from the narrative of becoming. And that idea is wholeness is breaking into the present moment. That if you want to locate a golden age, we only have to locate it in the depth of here, the depth of now, that that is the perennial philosophy, which is um, wholeness in in potentiation or in potential uh, culled from the matrix of infinite possibility coming in from to potential uh, and bearing the hallmarks of wholeness. And then trying to desperately, because it, it wants to find uh, its own um, self, if you will, in space-time, in this reality, through breaking into the present moment. So, so in other words, every moment is a moment of becoming, and the perennial tradition is, is that which helps steward uh, wholeness becoming into space-time conditions. What are your thoughts of that, this idea of the narrative of becoming?
1: Yeah, I think that is a great way to frame sort of the situation. I like what you said about how the narrative of decline has kind of defined a lot of, I think, spiritual movements um, in general. But that's kind of how I think we as a society tend to view the world. It's almost always in decline, it feels like. But the narrative of becoming, as you're describing it, really highlights something that's present in the Law of One, but also present in a lot of other spiritual traditions, uh, particularly like Hinduism, and that is that the reality that we experience is an illusion, in a sense, that the separation, the the decline that we are experiencing as beings that once were part of some Edenic condition are now within uh, a world of illusion and that is only an illusion that is keeping us from realizing the wholeness of that Edenic condition that we once were a part of and that If we can orient ourselves to that illusion in a certain way, we can realize that the illusion is in any given moment, at every moment, within everything that the illusion offers to us, attempting to speak to us about that wholeness. If we can orient to it the proper way that wholeness is, like you were saying breaking through in every single present moment. And the whole point of the illusion itself would necessarily be to uh, find a way to present that wholeness to us in a way that lets us have that realization to think.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I I would even say that the illusion serves the supremely sacred act of uh, the Creator knowing itself, that it is through the incredibly novel uh, innovation and discovery of the one infinite creator which is infinity itself in, in a sentient way uh, to come up in the backdrop of infinity uh, sorry infinity to come up with this idea of finitude which is an illusion of course but it's through that illusion that finitude that the infinite creator can experience itself infinitely so we can actually honor uh, the notion of illusion. Right. Exactly. Like the main question I think somebody who's
1: sort of unfamiliar with this idea of this dynamic would ask is like, okay, then why? Why is it illusory? Why have we uh, fallen into decline? Or why do we think we've fallen into decline? What is this sort of bigger metaphysical reason for this? Like what is the primary uh, mechanism at play here? And In my opinion, my perspective, it is what you said, that infinity or intelligent infinity or however you frame it, uh, the creator had a desire to know itself and to experience itself. And the only way to experience or to know itself was to trick itself into thinking that it didn't know itself. And that's kind of the condition that we are in is to look at the universe and see it as something other than us we see other people and we see something other than us and that gives the universe the creator a chance to have an experience of novelty some sort of experience of knowing itself in a way that is meaningful and that actually gives it uh, some whatever it was seeking if we can put it into you know terms that we can use in English or any language. Uh, it gives it what it was seeking, the meaningful experience of knowing itself and having an experience. And it seems like that's not really possible without going deep and putting this mask on and hiding from itself. And uh, that's sort of the process that we find ourselves in as the creator, hiding from itself in every moment, trying to discover itself again.
0: And in that, there's there's a, a primal emotion of play, isn't it? Delight, play. I mean, you hear the masters, the spiritual masters, uh, don't talk about uh, conspiracy, you know, the hiding, the hidden, the, you know, the, uh, some sort of malevolent um, movement here, but rather at this incredibly large, almost absolute macro level, you might think the hiding, you might see the hiding as children playing hiding go seek, that the, the gestalt of that, the wholeness of that is greater than the sum of the parts is uh delight and joy right the hiding yes. and seek the hiding and seeking yeah. and finding <laughs>
1: absolutely and I, I always feel when i have conversations like this i always have to add this disclaimer that whenever you talk about sort of this mystical mindset and this idea that uh, this illusion and our incarnations and our experiences are part of something like the creator wanting to experience itself particularly in terms of a game which i really do believe that that energy is present within reality there's sort of a hide-and-seek trickster kind of element to everything we experience um then it can seem kind of cold and dismissive of the fact that there is very real suffering within the world and very difficult experiences and that a lot of people if they are confronted with the notion that their experience is a game to something. It can seem quite malevolent, but it is still true that anybody who has sort of that mystical realization of unity and oneness, that element is there and our experiences uh, lead us to that realization typically, eventually, I think.
0: Well, that's a, that's an incredibly important point. Um, as a counselor, I deal, oh, it's my vocation um, to deal with, to help people uh, accept, assimilate, process, and go through their very, very real pain. And of course, my life has also been one of emotional pain. I know what that feels like. Your point is really well taken. And I would say that uh, great love, and they're kind of rare, but these moments of great love in our life uh, that break us open into some awe, some, some kind of, I, I don't know how to have words to explain this moment of um, love given, love received, uh, love shared. It's so overwhelming, it can break us open. Those moments, and also the many moments, if we're learning to live with our ear to our suffering, uh, the moments of suffering, great suffering in our life, can be strong enough to break open our um, our framework, our worldviews enough so something new can break in. So I think it's actually precisely through the pain and suffering and also the moments of great awe, which is its own kind of uh, suffering insofar as it doesn't fit a paradigm that we thought was true. (laughs) So there's, there's a way that the suffering is Well, now I don't know what to believe. But regardless, both of those things, pain, uh, sorry, suffering and and great love seem to be two very strong mechanisms through which um, God or the creator on this side of the veil, which is what you and I enjoy, third density, uh, through which we grow and learn on a micro scale. So pain and suffering belong for sure.
1: Yeah, and I would just point out that Talking about this process in terms of our personal experiences is very true, but it's also relevant that those are the things that also call to us from the seeming external world. You know, we see suffering and that moves us towards some kind of emotion and the hope in my opinion and your opinion I believe too is that that movement is hopefully towards a service to others and attempts to respond to that suffering in some way that calls out the love from within us and I think that is an important aspect of the dynamic too is that the suffering and the pain they have a divine purpose like just because we're in an illusion and those things can be described as illusory doesn't mean that they are unimportant and The illusion is itself like we were describing has a divine importance of allowing for the universe to have experience and i think the suffering and the love that you're talking about really get down to the primal aspect of that experience because they are what moves us within this illusory reality it's what really potentiates us to be conscious aware beings and the universe experiencing itself
0: oh that's gorgeous in fact um you have uh, really hit upon one of my outline points, but it's more towards the bottom of the outline. So I'm going to actually go towards the top and then work back down. You, um, but yeah, it's what you said is is just gorgeous. Okay, I, I'm going to offer you Austin a working definition of the Creator that uh, is going to at once offend um, probably a lot of Law of One people. But and it might offend, uh, you know, people who are in conventional religions. But that's okay because this is all we already know. It's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but here, here's something that helps me um, put it together, and this is what I've come up with: the Creator is the who, the why, and the how of eternal becoming. The Creator is the who, the why, and the how. Of eternal becoming. Um, So I'm I'm trying to get at uh, this notion of a self that learns upon a macro scale that's sort of covered in the who. Uh, The why would be to uh, experience the creator self, a gnosis, which you and I know means a lived experiential reality, a knowing that is uh, forever imprinted upon one's Um, knowledge of self and reality through experience that's gnosis so that's the why the desire to know itself and then finally the how is is kind of the function or the structuring of how consciousness plays out so the creator again is the who the why and the how of eternal becoming Okay. Um, I think one way
1: to help expand on that would be to ask you why you feel like that would be offensive to a law of one student necessarily.
0: Well, whenever I have talked in the forum, for example, on Facebook, which may not be the best representation of the law of one student, um, but it is the one that's most populated, I guess, is uh, maybe most of the time, whenever I've intimated that the there is a who, as opposed to a what, or a, uh, you know, a process itself, if if I kind of talk about a who, then um, I'm immediately met with people who, who want to show where I'm wrong on that. uh, And they're often coming from an Eastern philosophy, which I understand, I get that. But I think if we're reading the law of one carefully, um, we can look at, I, I feel comfortable with a who, if we can define a who, even a person, um, define that as, as a mediatrix or a medium through which uh, the impulse, the divine creator's impulse to experience itself comes, comes through, you know, so um, d- I, I'm remembering from my theology Degree. I um, have a master's in theology as well as clinical social work. And I remember uh, reading there that the word person that was adopted in the Western understanding of person that comes from per per space per sonare. And uh, it was adopted from Greek theater, believe it or not, where. A, or the actors and actresses would wear masks and the masks would be called person, personare, uh, instead of masks. That, that's what they were called. The persons, you could say, because the intuition there was the masks would be that illusion play through which the essence behind the mask sounds through for a particular role. That's not a bad way to, to understand. Uh, persons isn't it and from this perspective no absolutely not we could say you know we are wearing the the mask of the creators wearing the mask of our identity necessarily that's it and in fact um, the law of one seems to point out that every entity whether it is a photon whether it is a universe whether it is an event um, uh, even a kind of complex, which would be, again, be a gestalt of different entities coming together for a new singularity. All of those things are entities or beings. Ra uses that, seems to use that as a um, uh, synonym. And each being would be maybe thought of as a nodal point through which this divine intelligence and energy come through. uh, And then, As it comes through each nodal point, each being, each entity, the the being receives this impulse that it is given and then refines it according to the manner of its own free will, using the structure that which is given, but refines it and sends it off as a manner to experience itself. But but through it, the greater transcendent layer, uh, the creator experiences itself too. So it's a medium, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I understand what you mean when there would be kind of an argument in describing the creator as who rather than a what. What would you say that is, could be also described as describing the creator or God as personal versus impersonal? Um, <clears throat> I think at the Maybe a, a more descriptive thing for me would be the transpersonal, which okay. I don't feel like that is beyond personal. Um, the way I understand that word transpersonal is that it actually includes the notion of personal and then actually elevates it into the hyperpersonal. Right. So every true? moment is is a moment of face-to-face engagement and an encounter in an I thou or subject-to-subject quantized packets of energy seeing each other mirroring each other and that is as personal as it gets right so yeah personal and transpersonal like
1: personal would be included in transpersonal that's sort of the the ken wilber uh, transcend and include not transcend and eject necessarily and i would say i like i understand the argument that people might have because i think that we go through various stages of looking at the universe and understanding our spiritual paths as, uh, in particular ways. Um, but I would say it can be both at any given moment and in all moments. I do think there's an argument, particularly in the law of one for describing the creator as who, uh, at least in various different ways, but in one way, uh, Ra talks about how, um, As we were talking about sort of illusion, they say that all things are one. There is no polarity, no right or wrong, no disharmony. But then they end that statement with, but only identity. And I don't know particularly what Ra was trying to refer to with identity, but my intuition tells me that this kind of conversation is what they were talking about, that identity, personal, transpersonal, the who of the creator is the identity they're talking about.
0: Yes, an identity held together in unity um, is a different way to maybe understand the nature of the Creator, wherein the Creator is unity itself, uh, but unity is not the same as uniformity. Unity is not the same as white light, say, with holding everything in perfect possibility, um, but without any hue. So uniformity um, bespeaks a a kind of sameness, but rather unity is diversity maintained and protected by love. This idea that um, all are held together inside a membrane of of oneness, but the diversity actually uh, is the great novel expression. The novel. manner through which the creator understands itself. It's through diversity interacting with with each other.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think we can just use the fact that we exist. If we take, you know, the baseline, unity is the baseline of, you know, reality. Uh, the fact that there is anything beyond that speaks to uh, what you're saying is being true, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So another uh, thing on the outline, I'd like to just see what your thoughts are, is. Uh, the law of one often talks about the original thought, the original thought, and uh, they nuance the original thought. That term they nuance it several times. And again, in a careful reading, you'll pick it up. And I have substituted in my own mind. I'm, I'm not trying to say that um, one should adopt this, but but when I look up the word cognition, uh. There's an etymology that comes from how cognition has come into the English language that I find very fitting. The, uh, it comes from nos, o u s, which is Greek for heart-mind. You know, this, this putting the energetics of wisdom and love together. Um, and then it also comes from the word con, C-O-N, meaning with. And when you put those together, it means a lived gnosis, it's that gnos, gnosis, a lived experiential gnosis of oneself in and through relationship or relationality itself. That's that con, that with. In other words, um, how I know myself is inside uh a, a relational matrix where I see myself in some kind of mirrored form, and that informs me of my own knowing and so that 's the word of cognition, and I'm, I'm wondering it, it has a synonym to thought, of course to co- you know to cognize is a, is a thought to think, but original cognition, maybe thought could be understood as holding all that together. Um, But below and undergirding even that would be this impulse to experience the self. So anyways, the reason why I'm choosing cognition because let me just um, let me jump on that really quick. And just to say the reason why I'm choosing the word cognition is because it actually has meaning later on when we talk about um, understanding the veil of forgetting, which is something that the law of one says emerged. Uh, in time, I guess in the fullness of time, as the one infinite creator is discovering uh, more intense and nuanced ways, differentiated ways to understand itself, is to put this veil of forgetting, forgetting that we are one with each other, that we're one inside, each entity is one in in and of itself, and that we are all one with God, Uh, that That forgetting was uh, becoming paramount, or it was something that happened between the conscious level and the unconscious level at some point in the evolution of the universe, wherein the third density experience, this third bandwidth of consciousness, or God's chakra, the third chakra of God, you could say, uh, entities evolving within that bandwidth would experience their incarnational um, experience as befuddlement puzzlement who am I what does all this mean uh, where are we going what's the purpose you know all of these questions would not be possible without the veil but with the veil not only are they possible but they actually intensify incredibly um, the experience of the creator of itself but also the the experience of not only third density but then the subsequent densities that emerge from the third density experience, that the veil was an incredible innovation uh, that launched a new way for the creator to understand itself. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I think it would be good to unpack the idea of the veil and what you're talking about a little bit more for anybody who might not be familiar with it. And, you know, we're getting pretty deep into the weeds of this kind of cosmology that um, isn't necessarily specific to the law of one, but the the law of one describes very specifically. And you talked about where we are right now being third density. I like the way you described it as sort of this third bandwidth of consciousness almost. Um, Basically, in a broad term, or a broad sense it is a way to describe the way that consciousness evolves through the universe and where we are right now is a particular level of that evolution of consciousness and that uh, there were uh, have been other beings uh, in the universe that sort of follow the similar path of these various levels of consciousness but at one point in time in this third density uh, entities beings did not have what you call the veil of forgetting, what Rob calls the veil of forgetting. And they had an innate knowledge of their place in the universe. They understood innately that they were not separate from the universe, they were not separate from the creator, but that they were one with the universe and one with the creator. And that created a very... I wouldn't say meaningless, but it was a very lukewarm experience for the creator. It was almost like uh, it didn't really resonate with what the creator was looking for. And sort of the process of creation, as Ra describes it anyways, is almost like an experimental unfolding of how the creator can gain more and more experience. How can it discover a more meaningful way to experience itself? And so at one point in time, the veil of forgetting was discovered and implemented for beings within this particular level of consciousness where we are right now that separates our innate knowledge of oneness with the universe and along with that has other sort of implications such as the separation of the conscious and the unconscious mind Um, and so sort of our innate knowledge of oneness with the universe at this point in my interpretation lives within our unconscious mind and we can you know tap into it through the various practices of accessing the unconscious mind but the meaningful aspect of what you're talking about is that the creator and the process that unfolds through experiments basically of experiencing itself landed on this idea that it has to forget itself it has to be able to have agents beings aspects of itself that kind of get twisted up and uh, forget who they are and that's where we are right now and that there is uh, a more implication in this process too. that once we forget, the task then is to remember it is in this dynamic of forgetting, and then remembering that kind of generates that experience that the creator is looking for, at least in, in my interpretation, that's not necessarily explicitly stated in the law of one or any other uh, material that I'm aware of. But that's how I understand it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. I, I do too. And uh, you actually set up the punt because the next um, point on the outline was one way to use the word cognition, the original cognition, as opposed to the original thought, is on this side of the veil, when third density entities, through their forgetting, embark upon an unconscious, conscious dance that slowly remembers and you maybe you can even see remember like remembering again uh their oneness one way to see this is the original cognition is the outward 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 movement the thought of experiential you know this desire this thrust to move outward and then in third density with the veil on we are tasked it is our honor it is our duty to recognize that's re cognize so we have original cognition and then we have a chosen recognition see and that is that is where we uh through our third density veiled experience learn to choose through our free will uh to orient our embodiment, our actions, to align with the nature of wholeness, this cognition, the original thought of wholeness experience in itself. We have to choose to see ourselves as parts of this wholeness. <laughs> and in so doing, we actually recognize, we recognize the infinite creator, this great being that learns upon a macro scale, Protean entity, as Ross says, Protean being, learning on a macro scale, we recognize this in, in a kind of hyperpersonal, transpersonal way, the face, if you will, of love, the face of the one infinite creator in every moment. Uh, that's the recognition, the recognizing of that original thought. So anyways, it's a little play on word, you know, cognition recognition, but <laughs> maybe it's an interesting pedagogy, uh, pedagogical tool. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I always like when we, you, we as people use word play like that, sometimes it um,
1: it seems just like a random way that words happen to mean certain things. But I always think there's a lot of meaning in how we like kind of reinterpret these words because they're already very abstract. So I think it's a really um, pertinent and interesting way to sort of frame it. And, you know, just to sort of highlight the process that you're talking about here the original cognition, the original thought, that is at least in our universe, the universe that we are alive in right now, that was kind of the spark that started it uh, in its process, essentially. That's how Ra would describe the original thought, was that original thing that um, started everything that has unfolded since that and in that sense that original cognition what you're saying uh, i think does resonate a lot with what i was saying is my understanding of sort of where we are and the purpose of where we are right now is there was that original thing uh, in some sense way back in the past and now it is our job to remember that original thing And that also goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, is that there are signals within our veiled environment where we are, where we feel cut off and alone from uh, the universe, even other people and ourselves, that there are signals within that environment pointing to what that original thought is. And we can describe that in one sense as love. Mm. That's kind of where you were getting at.
0: Yes, that wholeness. As Ross says in uh, session 10, 14, I think, um, the moment, this moment right now that unfolds in front of us, the immediacy of it all, contains the full plenum of love. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the interesting things that emerges, again, from the the veil now being installed, this cognition that the know the knower the known say and the knower seeing each other and then this new delight god seeing god uh on the god as veiled coming through third density recognizing itself or god's self uh both in the other person but also in creation and indeed uh the very nature of reality itself as as being something that we can recognize, all of this leads to a nuancing of uh, the law of free will. And what Ra says, and I'm going to read this verbatim, is that the law of service is actually a kind of nuancing of uh, the first distortion. That's, that's law of one language for free will. And so this is coming from 14.18 question 14 um, or sorry session 14 question 18 and that is it goes like this the general cause of service such as the confederation offers is that of the primal distortion of the law of one which is service the one being of the creator is like unto a body if you will accept this third density analogy Would we ignore a pain in the leg, a bruise upon the skin, a cut which is festering? No, there is no ignoring a call. We, the entities of sorrow, that's the confederation, chose as our service the attempt to heal the sorrow which we are calling analogous to the pains of a physical body complex distortion. I have just. I remember hearing that for the first time and just um, being so touched at the deepest levels, and actually uh, maybe tearing up, because it it is so present also in the impulses of um, Judeo Christianity. I think in most religions would have some kind of way in which we, our deepest intuition, we hope, we want that. There is something out there, a transcendent reality that hears our call, a pain, that feels in solidarity and empathy, that we're not alone in our bewilderment of it all. You know, and it it, it sounds like what Ra is saying, if we want to take Ra at, at um as truth here, is that the very the very primal distortion, one of these primal laws that allows the creator to experience itself, which is free will, is itself nuanced into the law of service, wherein one chooses, a being or a group of beings choose to will their energy and oriented towards helping to steward other parts of this one body to steward reconciliation or healing and healing back into some level of received and um, received wholeness you know because when when there is a pain there's some kind of uh, experience of concrete separation. There's a concreteness to a separation or an, uh, a violation of wholeness, you might say. There, there's an experience of separation that's very strong. The natural response to that is crying out because our innate deep down inside knowledge of, of the universe as being one is affronted. And so we're going to cry out in pain in some ways, help. And what it sounds like is that the very nature of the One Infinite Creator is to have parts of it, which might be um, from the vantage point of their density, to be more advanced, such as the Confederation, uh, to come in assistance as a primal uh, enactment of this law of free will, and that's called the law of service. What What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think very beautiful the way that you described that I really like the quote that
1: you picked out there because I think that it describes a lot of what we're talking about on one level there was a reference to the confederation there and I'm sure there are at least some people thinking I thought they were going to talk about UFOs Yeah, Um, the confederation being
0: we're getting uh, that
1: yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, the Confederation being at least part of the aspect of the UFO phenomenon that we experience, but also much more than that. Uh, beyond that, I think what they're describing here, they use the Confederation responding to a call on our planet as uh, a being allowed by a primal distortion of the law of one. Or in other words, the way that I kind of interpret that in uh, different words is that there is a tribal aspect of the universe, a fundamental energy, if you could use that term, a fundamental dynamic within the universe that other interactions have sprung out from. And so the confederation responding to a call of suffering, you can drill that back down to the very fundamentals of reality and this dynamic of the original thought of uh, suffering and then love being called from that suffering. Um, uh, you and I, Doug, we've talked a lot about in our conversations that we can see a lot of these metaphysical spiritual concepts and mirrored in sort of material sciences, and particularly physics, and if we look at what allows the universe to exist in the way that it does, um, it starts with a very simple dynamic of sort of something being pulled, the tension between something pulling and something being pulled. Um, and. I think that is present in what Ra is talking about here, but also present in our lived experience. So it's not just uh, the material universe that is built off of this. It's our spiritual universe built off of something calling and then a response to that call. There is a tension there. And in that tension, what we experience uh, not only is our own suffering, but it draws the love out from within us. We are drawing love from others if they're choosing to respond to our call of sorrow with love and our love is being drawn out from within us by a response to a call of suffering. Um, And those are very specific words. You can define suffering and love in a lot of different ways. Um, I would encourage anybody contemplating this to broaden those words. Think about any word you could maybe relate to suffering and love and how those might play out in situations where you might not necessarily use those words to define the situation. But I think that what you've talked about here is fundamental to just the basis of reality that we're talking about that, you know, is relevant to the UFO phenomenon like we're uh, getting to.
0: I don't know if we can understand the UFO phenomenon without talking about that. So and you said it very well. In fact, um, you've just uh, actually set the punt for the last two. Uh, points, and then we'll jump into the UFO phenomenon because we'll have this this bed made here. Uh, <clears throat> you talked about um, the the law. Basically, you talked about the law of three <laughs> when you when you said that you can find the metaphysical in the physical, and, and that is actually something that I think is one hundred percent true. If something is true. It has to be seen, understood, or at least uh, recognized in the metaphysical realms, or spiritual, in the psychological or emotional, and in the physical. Otherwise, it's not true. It has to be able to be emerging and and seen and understood, or at least acknowledged in all three of those areas. So the physical will have it, the the spiritual will have it, the emotional will have it, and I believe that um, a good counselor, for example, or a good spiritual uh, companion that's wise will help people to go through uh, the very basic call and response <laughs> that we find at the very origin of the original cognition, original thought. That, th- that these, this original thought just gets recapitulated over and over again, nuanced and and uh, given and received uh, in infinite amounts of ways that that increases in complexity as the creator itself evolves and so one fundamental um, law that this is not actually explicitly said in the law of one but for those of us who may be somewhat familiar with Gurdjieff's work uh, he's the one that really kind of made it famous in the western world but the lore behind Gurdjieff is that he learned it from some sort of uh, inner tradition, esoteric Sufi tradition, which can be, again, the lore there is dated all the way back to the Essenes and even beyond. And this law is called the Law of Three. And it is definitely implicit in the Law of One Material. And so let me just lay out the Law of Three and then we'll move into uh, more explicit UFO coverage, but the very thrust of the, of the eternal evolution of the one infinite creator, the very thrust of it, is the law of three. And that is, you're going to have an affirming force, something that is moving in one direction, and then you're going to have what's called the denying force. The denying force is anything that uh, impedes the affirming force's direction. So, you can think of rock in a hard place or, um, you know, some kind of crash or crisis it would be a denying force. And in that tension, exactly located right there at that 90 degree angle of a of perpendicular, um, crash, you have a, a hidden third force and it's called the reconciling force. In our job, according to the law of three, our job is incarnated intelligence on, you could say this side of the veil. Our job is to help midwife discover, midwife nurture this reconciling force. And the product of that reconciling force is ultimately a great satisfaction or consummation of the affirming force and denying force, meaning that the law of three, the reconciling force, brings the um, seemingly conflictual situation into a new wholeness, a new gestalt, a new complex, to use law of one terms, that is itself a new singularity uh, in the same way that a water molecule is one entity made up of three different atoms, which are themselves made up of subatomic particles. So the reconciling force brings together constant uh, parts, and then moves it into a new gestalt. Okay, so that's the law of three. And I think we've covered now the law of three, the law of service, moving in you know all the way back to the narrative of becoming. And I would like to then launch us into uh, what you're just, dis- what you're discovering, and what's intrigued you about. Um, UFOs, and maybe we can kind of understand that phenomenon based on the foundation that we've set here.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I wonder if there's one other uh, piece that might be relevant, and it could be relevant to the law of three, like you just talked about, but I do think that in terms of laying this groundwork for where we are in third density in our current level of consciousness and awareness of the universe um the idea of our polarities as they're described in the law of one as having a choice of a polarity to pursue uh, being service to others and service to self um is that dynamic uh relevant to the law of three that you were just describing
0: absolutely absolutely okay. um so if you wouldn't mind uh, spend some time as, as you understand that that teaching in the Law of One, which will be found implicitly, I think, in all of the world's uh, spiritualities. And, uh, and then I will just basically put a, an exclamation point to your statement on um, locating the role of bellicosity in our particular Earth experience that seems to be a catalyst for a lot of this UFO experience that we have
1: okay yeah absolutely so uh, to lay sort of the last foundational piece of um, the third density our current experience at least as Rob describes it and like doug said this is kind of echoed in some other spiritual philosophies as well is that within this illusion this illusory reality that we are experiencing currently um the sort of ticket to allow our consciousness to move to whatever the next level of consciousness is is pursuing a choice as Ra describes it and that choice is between service to others and service to self And those are very specific terms. They use those terms because they do touch upon sort of the ethical nature of this energy. But you can look at this as more of an energetic exchange. What kind of energy do we choose to inhabit within our lives? Um, Service to others being sort of uh, outflowing love and service to self being sort of an absorbing love uh, where instead of uh, our, us looking at others and sending our love outward. We look at others and we kind of attempt to draw in their whatever they are for our own self-benefit, for our own uh, love of self with the exclusion of other. And so basically the idea is that within our current experience, we dedicate ourselves in one way or another to these one of these two paths and we become aware of this uh, either consciously or unconsciously through the experiences that we have here in this illusion rock calls the basically any experience we have catalyst and catalyst in the terms of it's an element introduced to our consciousness to initiate change to potentially change within us and so every experience that we have we can relate to it in one way or another, and those two sort of primal ways would be service to others or service to self. And within service to others, uh, to because most people listening to this, I feel like would consider themselves along that kind of path. Uh, I always want to give the disclaimer that it is not necessarily an exclusion of self when we talk about service to others, but it is talking about A path of radiant love where uh, you love yourself you love others, you love the universe you are attempting uh, the best you can to recognize the love that you have heard the call from in your heart to recognize the unity that you might understand as an aspect of the universe and you're doing your best to uh, live on that realization to make choices within your life that act upon that sort of understanding of yourself as a being of love and then the service to others would be in a sense the opposite of that where any experience that you have you're interpreting it in a way that maximizes your own self-worth your own self-gain um particularly in terms of other beings other selves as Rob calls them you are not seeing them as a being worthy of love you are seeing them as a tool or a mechanism in which to gain more power or more love for yourself uh, and sort of draw that love within uh, and share it only for yourself and not share it with others and so the way that ra describes it is once we reach a certain point of dedicating ourselves to one of these two paths we then uh, have this sort of momentum that takes us out of our current um, reality of third density and we enter the next density of consciousness and this isn't just a personal process this is a process that also unfolds for the collective population and for the planet itself and uh, it is both personal and unfolding as a process in the universe as a planet um, there are lots of ways that Ra describes this, but in terms of the purpose of the experience of the anything we experience, but as we're about to examine the UFO phenomenon, it's really how we relate to the world around us, how we interpret it, and having these sort of two choices of how to relate to things and how to engage with catalyst that Creates that momentum that helps us uh, continue our journey towards the Creator.
0: Yeah, and ju- just for listeners, uh, Austin had said this this last little piece. He has said, "Service to others." He actually meant service to self. <laughs> so that's just a little asterisk. No. Um, Apologies. That's okay. I, I'm I'm help I'm asterisk putting an asterisk in there because that's also true in the law of one material <laughs> <we> see. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm not the first one to make that mistake. No, no, no. Um. And then the last thing would be that not only raw, though, um, but many different sources would see that Earth's particular third density expression um, is unique. And according to the law of one, we are not a homogeneous population insofar as the origins of our souls. that our experience is one of uh, coming from many different places in the creation. It's at least from Law of One perspective, a lot of our souls here that make up Earth's population are coming from planets that have already moved on to uh, fourth density, but then there's going to be a certain percentage that uh, were not quite ready. They had not yet completed the tasks of third density so they they are then put into a particular place earth to learn how to make the choice of positive or negative polarity and then polarize enough to be able to be ready for fourth density lessons um, of living and evolving so the earth is a conglomerate place a place of uh, many different Uh, root groups, but also a mixed polarity. You have some beings here who have chosen the negative polarity and are just about harvestable. You have some being most beings here are chosen the positive polarity um, and are some of them, some of whom are almost harvestable to go to positive, so very positive. And you have many of us who have not yet made the choice or have made the choice but are not polarized enough. So this unpolarized uh, position. And I'm going to remind some of us here who have li- who have read maybe Revelations. There's a part in Revelations where um, the author has Christ saying, uh, I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And I think maybe from a law of one perspective, we could understand that as if you're hot, maybe that is being able to be harvested uh, or graduate to the fourth density positive. Uh, Our polarity is such that we're ready for those lessons. Or if we're cold enough, uh, also chosen the negative polarity and moving into the negative fourth density. But the vast majority of us are lukewarm, either too hot nor too cold and it is that that particular group um, which we as a collective uh, create for us a confusion a big big confusion because with the veil we don't really know what we want and even if we're moving forward in our chosen polarity, let's say if you're moving forward in the positive polarity, maybe even the systems inside that like culture or the religion of preference might be coming from a perspective that is actually not very positive. So just to give you an example from my own tradition, um, if I'm a Catholic who believes that you know only Catholics go to heaven and uh, I feel like it is my job to go and convert people, even to the point of uh, inquisitions and crusades and whatnot, I might feel like I'm doing God's work inside that particular ethos. All right? I might be thinking that, but the entire ethos might be neutral or even negative. And I'm not aware of it because inside that, which I can't see, I feel like I'm doing positive work. So what Ra says then, the ultimate result of all of this confusion has created a quagmire um, or a a, a complete and total, almost a complete and total uh, blockage, a collective energetic blockage uh, that Ra refers to as bellicosity, this bellicose uh, warlike attitude where I enter into any situation where my worldview is framed from kind of a spiritual warfare that there is the good and the bad, and I'm going to fight the light. You know, the the team light is going to fight team dark. Um, and I'm not saying that there's not a way to view that from a more enlightened perspective, perhaps. Uh, but that ethos of bellicosity, along with the vast majority of confusion that we feel here, the lukewarm, has created a perfect, and I'm going to argue uh, in in terms of the narrative of becoming, a pivotal, important point for some kind of new wholeness that is being birthed, some kind of reconciling force that's coming from the affirming force of our need to move to fourth density, the denying force of our quagmire the the logjam of consciousness located in our collective lower con- lower chakras is bellicosity that affirming force denying force coming together this reconciling force this wholeness is breaking in that we cannot deny and i think the ufo phenomenon is directly tied to that what are your thoughts uh
1: yeah absolutely i think to sort of build off of or uh, trace a little bit what you were saying, particularly how it's relevant to the UFO phenomenon. Um, Maybe not in the way that you were just uh, referencing, but I do think it's a point to um, hit on before we really get into it. And that is the process that we're talking about of polarizing as raw would call it polarizing being making that choice of service to others and service itself being the mechanism by which our consciousness uh, continues its journey sort of upward you would say that this then the natural conclusion is that if this is the process that unfolds in the universe then there are beings that have made that journey upward and those are what we might call uh, extraterrestrials or aliens um, and they have access, they have uh, realized an aspect of the universe where some people might view them as more uh, spiritual beings rather than just literal ETs, uh, with you know, uh, spaceships flying around the universe, but that there's a holistic view of them where, yes, they are that, but there's also another realm of the universe that they are keenly aware of, uh, that we inhabit but aren't aware of, and that they are here from both of those paths service to others and service to self and they are attempting to help or influence us in some way through their interaction with us and that these interactions uh have a purpose and a meaning and our the meaning is designed with this whole process we've just talked about kind of uh, implicit within it the idea of what third density is uh, what the role of the third density being uh, us, what our role is in that process, and how that role unfolds to the point where we are either uh, moving upward and being called by that affirming force uh, to the next stage of uh, existence in the universe, uh, or being denied, confused, befuddled uh, by that denying force. And uh, those forces, those, you know, other forces coming from outside of this planet, um, they influence us in different ways along those lines. And so I think that that is how what you were talking about is very relevant to the UFO phenomenon and how to approach not only looking at what they are doing here, but, but how we can relate to the fact that they're here or the fact that they are interacting with us and the fact that their interaction with us has caused a lot of, Uh, What I would call catalyst, um, but you know, uh, some very difficult social situations in terms of institutions, governments, secrecy, um, spiritual movements, uh, social movements. Like the influence that UFOs have had on us as a people uh, is much greater than even a UFO enthusiast I think would realize. But particularly, way greater than somebody who's not interested in UFOs, realize, um, which is something that I've realized, you know, I left the topic of UFOs kind of after it led me to law one and I just started diving back in after all these things started unfolding this year, um, but it's made me realize how it has seeped into our culture, our public consciousness so deeply uh, that people, it is almost like um, it has become normal to people how much it influences us on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Beautiful